Hey everybody, welcome to Still Here, Still Healing. This is Jade, and this is part two of episode four, where I'm joined by Regan and his mom Caroline, who was just in the previous part one of this episode. I've always considered Regan a friend and a leader, and I just feel very grateful to have had the opportunity to sit down with him and his mom and have this conversation and to be able to share this episode with you. So I hope you all feel the same way that I do and enjoy it. I'm Regan Ratmispanas. I'm uh, Caroline is my mom and uh, I grew up here in Pinehouse as well. And uh, I live currently kind of in between uh, Saskatoon and, and Pinehouse. Uh, Pinehouse is where I've been living for the most part just due to the pandemic. Um, but Saskatoon, I, uh, I call uh, my home city uh, just because I've been able to do a lot of work there and I've been able to uh, attend university at the University of Saskatchewan. Um, and it's a, a place where I've been able to uh, get good connection to, uh, to uh, other relatives over there, uh, people of Jade and people, um, whether they're at the university or whether um, I work with them. Uh, sort of on a one-on-one -on -one level, I've I've been able to to uh, do some pretty cool work through uh, meeting individuals in Saskatoon. So uh, I'm I'm happy to to be joining you folks and to to join my mama here as we listen to her story. And um, yeah, I'm excited to to see where this goes. So my mom is a residential school survivor, and so uh, being her son. That makes me an intergenerational um, school survivor and somebody who uh, was impacted um, by the fact that my mom attended these schools, a school where uh, the intention was to assimilate and to uh, colonize um, these young Indigenous children. And that's where my, uh, a lot of my, um, attention was to that's where I've been able to really uh, uh, it's hard to understand why young children would have to bear these um, atrocities and why they'd have to go through these um, horrible things um, and I always uh, wondered that growing up uh, right from when I was about eight years old my uh, mom would sit me down and would share stories about uh, um, her growing up in the city of Prince Albert and going to school at the residential school. And so at about eight years old already, I was learning from my mom and getting firsthand knowledge of, of what took place, what really uh, continues to uh, impact many of our, our people. Um, and as I grew older, I noticed that there's still, I, I, I came to figure out why um, children were attacked. I'll use the word attack um, in order to uh, assimilate our Indigenous communities. And I noticed this because already by the age of when I was about 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, I was about uh, a preteen. Um, already at that age, um, I was quite exposed to uh, 
uh, a lot of non-Indigenous uh, communities. And I would look at a lot of these uh, non-Indigenous people, Caucasian people. Uh, they'd have blonde hair and blue eyes. And um, I wouldn't look at myself and I'm a little bit more uh, darker skinned. I'm a little, I have brown eyes and I have black hair. And I would look at them and I would, I would want what they had because it seemed in my mind, I related, I related this, that in order to be successful in this world, in this society, that's how I had to look like. And so image is really what stuck in my head. And it, hurt me that I couldn't change my hair color, that I couldn't change my eye color, that I couldn't change my skin color. It um, made me feel I, I wanted to change those things uh, because I wasn't proud of who I was as an Indigenous person, even though I have both my parents who are fluent Cree speakers, um, people that... Um, have a lot of understanding of the culture and have a lot of understanding of, of our community and where we come from as, as people, I still did not see that pride in myself. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be uh, something that I was not. And when I think about uh, other Indigenous youth, that's what I, I, I related to that. How many more other young Indigenous people might be feeling that way, mm -hmm. might not be proud of the fact that they are Indigenous people, that they are Nihil, um, might not be proud of the, of the language that they come from, uh, might not understand yet the language that they come from and are, are not shy, but are ashamed to, to learn it now while they still can. And uh, that was, those were a lot of the, the issues I faced kind of uh, growing up with. Um, because it, it always, I, yeah, I, a lot of it was that self-image mm -hmm. and not having a, um, a lot of self-love um, and not seeing myself as, as valuable. Mm -hmm. um, now that I've uh, grown a little bit older um, and have been able to get a lot of mentors, including my, my two wonderful parents who are some of the most uh, beautiful individuals I know. Um, my mom, a residential school survivor, went on to uh, receive her Bachelor of Indigenous Social Work. She has been working in that field for 20 years. Um, and my dad, who in uh, grade eight, quit school and went on to uh, get his master's and his PhD in living off the land and being able to sustain off the land. Um, Having those mentors really um, mapping my my life out, yes, and having mentors, uh, including yourself, Jay, and people like uh, Island Tatusis, uh, people like uh, uh, Jordan Adelman, all these individuals that uh, have really played a role in my life, uh, that has helped um, sort of in, in my coping and uh, in being able to um, accept and understand my own identity as an Indigenous person and as an Indigenous youth. Mm -hmm. 
I completely agree with you and I I relate to you so much because like that's how I feel about myself as well like growing up I guess a huge thing for me was having that disconnect from language and culture um, like yes I grew up in Larange and my dad tried his best to teach us like what he knew um, but yeah we I always me and my brother I think we grew up yeah a little bit disconnected from our language and our culture and that's like feeds into your identity right like you need that piece of yourself to really know who you are and to have pride in yourself and your culture and where you come from and now as an adult I'm finding those things and it's helping me a lot with like figuring out who I am and and I have a lot more pride in who I am so mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention uh Regan and Jade um one of the things that I'm so grateful for um despite being at the residential school and all the culture and the language uh, for us, because, and I'm not trying to minimize our tragedies and experiences, forgive me if I come across that way, but I say the city of Prince Albert was mindful perhaps at that time that there needs to be more indigenous caregivers. And so more of those people were hired. Uh, I bet about 50% of the caregivers at the residential school were attended, your dad and I, Mm -hmm. they were indigenous. So they were Cree speaking too, um, some of them. Um, But I'm grateful when I came back home to Pine House, which was three times a year, when I came back home to Pine House to see my family, my dad uh, would quickly remind me that I'm not at school anymore and now you need to uh, start talking Cree again. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to receive the best of both. I'm still fluent Cree. And I still have mastered the English language. So in my mind, it's like the best of both worlds kind of thing. I think that's important to note, yeah, because I'm just thinking like, well, when my dad was still alive, the, I guess, idea that I got from him was that he was kind of ashamed to speak the language, but he could, like he could speak Cree. But I think he was either ashamed or he was scared that he was going to mess up words or you know, mess something up and then say something wrong. And I think, yes, I think that's why he didn't speak it very often. And like me and my brother grew up with like a small amount of the language and like, you know, we like sometimes at home we'd say like little words and phrases, but that that's the extent that we got. And I wish that my dad wouldn't have had that like shame attached to the language or the feeling of being embarrassed to speak it. Um, I think that would have helped me a lot, but you know, we, we continue mm-hmm. on and I'm, I'm still trying to learn. So. Yeah. Yeah. Because in our home, Regan, I don't know if you remember, but in our home, cause both dad and I are fluent Cree, mm-hmm. but as you were growing up, we too didn't speak a whole lot of that fluent Cree, right? Mm. So. I that's one thing that I would always regret is not speaking fluently to you and Rayanne as we are raising you. Not because we were ashamed, but it's because 
it was somehow easier to talk with each other right. and you as a family right. uh, in the English language. Um, but I remember holding on to my pre-language because every time I started to talk English in our childhood home, I get that quick slap to the hand. Nihiawi, my dad would say. Nihiawi, kamagiamuniao. Nihiawi. So he'd remind me I'm a Nihia and I'm not a Muniao and you um, talk talk your language. That's what I was reminded of each day when I when I came back home. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. Mm. So terribly grateful. Yeah. yeah, that's and it's that's one thing that I try to remind folks to, I guess, is that we're still things have still not ended in terms of uh, attempts of assimilation. Mm -hmm. And that our role now, I guess, as indigenous people or indigenous communities is to continue to ensure that our young, that Jaden, my little niece, my mom's granddaughter, mm -hmm. that uh, she's able to uh, see the beauty in herself as an indigenous person, the Nihi Oxen, because um, I, I keep, uh, there's always that, uh, uh, when I always ask myself, what did I need when I was a kid growing up? Uh, what type of guidance did I need when I was uh, going through um, even my own uh, mental stuff, yeah. even my own thoughts, uh, how I viewed myself and how, I, how little I, I valued myself and the way that I looked. Um, and that was... Uh, the type of person I needed was uh, somebody who, like you were saying, somebody who was able to listen to a lot of these things that were going on and somebody that uh, would uh, appreciate uh, my abilities and appreciate uh, who I was. And there was, a, I, we need to be those types of people for our children and for our nieces and our nephews. Those are what they need uh, growing up in a system that was not designed for them. Um, we still have schools, schools that were uh, traditionally not designed with Indigenous people in mind. That's right. Um, and so to, to guide them through those types of systems and to be resilient uh, despite uh, uh, those systems not being designed for them, that they can flourish as uh, Indigenous people um, and retain the language and retain the culture and be proud as a Nihil people. The other thing I wanted to mention again was um, um, Dad, like you said, I really like the way you express that. I never ever thought of it that way, that he has his master's or PhD with the land, mm. that he's a worker of the land and he's surpassed and exceeded the abilities. So I, I truly appreciate that. I never, never expected it that way. I never saw it that way. But when I came, when we came home as brothers and sisters to Pine House, we didn't have, we were really already like, as you get 
older, you're disconnected from your dad. So the teenage boys, Uncle John and um, Uncle Alec, were really disconnected with the father figure. And it, it's not the res. I don't know if it's the residential school that does it. I, I blame it a little bit because they've been so far away for the rest, for, for almost all year. And then all of a sudden they're put back into this environment. You don't have a whole lot to say, or you've forgotten what to say. We were fortunate, me and Auntie Alice, because we're still babies. We're still young. So we come right back into the childhood home. And that's how we were able to retain the language, right? And we were shown uh, little things that Grandpa showed us. Um, you know, they're, they're not so much cultural. I mean, we take a walk to the bush and we pick blueberries and we'd, you know, just learn all sorts of little things things to, to survive. I was so grateful that dad comes along and he teaches us all of this, right? He taught my, thank God for my husband, Raymond, with his PhD, you know, <laughs> um, thank God for my husband who taught me all the cultural considerations that I had always not been taught. And he would teach me about, I even went fishing with him the one year, uh, commercial fishing. He's taught me about rice harvesting. He's taught me um, just all sorts of things. What kind of a tree is this? What type of, you know, how to build a fire, how to start a fire, you know, those kinds of things that parents in my at my age, and I'm 55 years old, parents at my age didn't, for some reason, take that time to, especially when you're at the residential school, because you lose all that time with your parents. You've mm. lost all that time. And uh, then when you came home, um, you'd spend a little bit of quality time learning, um, as we did from grandpa. But as we got older, the, you know, the human development, like if you're a teenager, you're more into other things, learning about other things, your puberty and, you know, other development have taken, um, have come more important. Mm -hmm. So there was such lost time learning about culture. I, that's, that's the other thing that I think about. When I came back to Pine House for good uh, at the age of 15, uh, 15, early 16, when I came back to Pine House, it was like I had lost so much. And I felt almost alienated from the community um, that I didn't really belong in this community. I felt that, um, so I battled within myself that no, I belong here. This is where grandpa lives. This is where I'm going to live. And now I'm going to start speaking Cree. I'm going to start learning all those cultures that I lost as a little girl. And that's another coping, Jade. That's another way to cope for people who are listening, residential school survivors. 
take this adult time to learn some of those cultures that we lost, you know. Uh, if you're not a Cree speaker, go to Cree classes, learn some Cree. Um, I'm starting to just learn little things like how to make bannock properly. You know, those are the kinds of things we weren't, these weren't um, instilled into us as we were growing up. Mm -hmm. um, we Instead, we learned reading, writing. Mm -hmm. uh, we learned I remember one time you said to me, uh, you reminded me, I reminded you of a drill sergeant. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? <laughs> it was just when I was younger and there was a uh, certain times when uh, you would ask me, not so much ask me to do something, but you expected it done right away. And it was, uh, wasn't as often, mm -hmm. but it, it uh, scared me when I was growing up. It was, it was mm -hmm. yeah. but it, those are the kinds of things that people need to find out about the the vicarious trauma mm -hmm. that many of you young ones carry mm -hmm. from my growing up. So, in my early days when I grew up at the residential school, everything was timed impeccably. Everything was like, okay, short time, prayer time, bedtime, cleanup time, strip your bedtime. Everything was timed and everything was um, scheduled. And that is still in me very much. That's why I thrive lots at work. <laughs> and that's how I raise my children. And I know that in itself. Um, was a little bit of a problem, you know. Um, I wasn't as, um, I mean, I was, I hope you remember that I've been affectionate. Oh, but, yeah, yeah but, but I think I was like expected so much. Regan, chore time, Regan, study time, Regan, uh, turn off the TV. Like there was no um, commands, I was such a commander, <laughs> mm. and that was handed down from the residential school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's like Caroline. something people need yeah. to uh, understand. That right? Well, like people like me and you, Regan, we obviously didn't attend a residential school, but our parents did, and their parenting skills and what they passed down to us is just uh, like we've had to face a lot too. Like what you just said, your own experience. And I'm thinking back to some of my own experiences too and how my dad was a parent and maybe some of his parenting skills weren't the greatest. And those are things that like I'm working through right now. Like I'm going to therapy and, and talking about some of those things. And I maybe didn't even realize at one point that the things that affect me so whether it's like I don't know having trouble in relationships or having anger issues um like those are um directly related to like some of those parenting skills that my dad may be like inflicted upon me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so some children received a lot of abuse physical abuse at the residential school. This is what they would have learned. This is what they would have known. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, I'm 27 years in this profession, uh, mental health and social work. Um, I've learned that a lot of 
things that you learn as a child um, that are instilled in you, you grow, uh, you go on and you grow up and you carry it into adulthood. Um, unless there's some proper intervention in between, this is what you're going to take mm-hmm. into your own families. Yeah. And so some of these people experienced a lot of abuse and therefore they would enforce abuse um, in their children's lives. Um, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I was grateful that I can't remember abuses that I would have enforced on you, except that I was like, uh, I, I thought it was so cool. I always tell this to my friends that I was like a drill sergeant. You remind, <laughs> I reminded you of a drill sergeant <laughs> and that mama's words or mama's commands were like, you had to do that. There's no, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I wasn't, hopefully I didn't abuse you too bad in you know, the physical abuse or the other types of abuses, you know. Yeah. No, like, mom, you're, you're, you're a good mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're a good mom. And uh, you and dad did, I think, a, a hell of a job. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, you were able to, to, uh, you gave me everything I needed. And mm-hmm. even much more than that, like, I, I'm able to, to still uh, have that affection with you and I'm still able to uh, uh, have your ear when I need it the most and you still try to help as much as possible like I'll always be grateful for uh, creator giving me one of the best moms in the world and so mm-hmm. um, and it's it's not when I bring those types of things up, I never mean it at you. Mm-hmm. It's just that uh, it's a reminder to myself of the systems that I want to help uh, take down yeah. and uh, that I really want to help. Uh, uh, not not change isn't strong enough of a word. Uh, <laughs> you want to just disband them. Yeah. Well, dismantle. Eh? Dismantle, like, that's yeah. the word. Yeah. And help, uh, like, like you said, uh, you're, when you had gone to residential school, it was that power was taken away from you. Very much so. Yeah. And I think that we're reaching a point uh, here in Canada with talks like reconciliation still uh, in effect. And with all these conversations that uh, uh, we're able to come out with now, I think uh, we're in a time where we can uh, start, start speaking on how do we return power uh, back to Indigenous people mm-hmm. that uh, the system tried to take away. Yes. And so that's 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 the reason for uh, why I uh, why I like having these conversations with you. Mm-hmm. And I hope that other it's healing. Yeah. Right? When we have these yeah. conversations with each other, yeah. it's healing. And sometimes we're not talking peacefully like this there's sometimes yeah. where we're tension. all out shouting and tension between us but it's healing mm-hmm. as long as you're not hitting each other and no one's getting hurt mm-hmm. there's going to be talk on the table and let's get this out let's mm-hmm. because you don't want to live with those secrecies anymore you don't want to live with 
those needs. You want to bring them out into the open. And I think we're doing a really good job with eight-year-old Jaden. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we're getting so much better at being open mm -hmm. as a family. And, mm -hmm. and, and she's learning so many good things. And um, I think... I think that if people continue on those healing journeys from the residential school, mm -hmm. I think there's just like, first of all, I think there's so much healing to be done, but it can be done. Mm -hmm. It can be done. And those things are being dismantled as we speak, as we tell our stories. And that's yeah. the other advice I would give mm -hmm. residential Absolutely. school survivors. You guys Don't keep quiet about it. You guys are such a mm -hmm. great example of, family that's that's doing the healing i love just even being able to like to watch you guys and listen to you guys speak to each other it's amazing um the way you treat each other with such respect and and um just yeah you guys i, I love this dynamic that you two have it's beautiful and um caroline you i'll say from my perspective you did a great job raising regan he's he's a leader he's um a role model in our communities that were in t together and I wanted to chat about that a little bit, Regan, and and talk about um, some of the work that you do because you have done some great things at the U of S. Um, I know you've been doing good things in your community. So if you want to share, yeah, a little bit about the work you've been doing over the past couple of years. For sure. Uh, some of, so Jade and I uh, first met at, well, we didn't, I, we, we had known about each other uh, through, uh, our, when I was young, I, uh, my mom always told me stories of your dad and uh, stories of uh, that he had a family and that he had uh, you and Ty and, mm -hmm. and your mom. And so I had grown up knowing those things, but we never actually had uh, met each other until university. And uh, that was a really cool experience. Um, when going to, I was 19 when I got accepted into university. And um, so I, I started attending uh, in Saskatoon uh, in 2015. And as soon as I got there, I immediately fell in love with our campus community, uh, specifically our Indigenous student community. We had just about 2,500 at that time, uh, Indigenous students that were uh, attending the U of S. But the one thing that I had noticed right away was that I didn't know very many. I knew that there was a high number, but I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, have that relationship with a close relationship, a close-knit uh, community relationship that I grew up with here in Pine House. I didn't have that uh, uh, going to the U of S. And so I... I always thought about what were some of the best ways that we could uh, help bring our community together at the U of S. And so um, I was privileged to serve in uh, some different roles and on different committees uh, that involved our Indigenous student community. And uh, I helped to organize some different events that had gone on and uh, to, and man, it was fun. <laughs> I, some of some of my greatest memories are at that school and are with people like Jade and Sabrina McNabb mm -hmm. and Brittany McNabb, who's graduating from SunTep today. Um, 
those were some of my greatest memories and being involved in the indigenous student community. Um, and so I was privileged to serve as uh, president of the Indigenous Students Council at the University of Saskatchewan, uh, now known as the Indigenous uh, Students Union, um, and that are, are working towards self-determination as a, as a student-led organization. Um, and then later on as uh, president of the University of Saskatchewan Students Union, uh, where I was the fifth, and uh, we now have a sixth Indigenous person uh, and the first Indigenous uh, women uh, to serve as president of the USSU. Um, and I'm, I'm happy that, uh, I, that uh, our community has been able to really bring out uh, a lot of passionate people and to build up people like uh, Jade and people who really are influencing our communities uh, by sharing our stories. Um, and by uh, sharing our knowledge with one another and our experiences with each other. Um, and that I was able to play a small part in that and a small part in uh, helping to build community for this Indigenous student body at the OVSAT will always uh, be one of my uh, most favorite memories mm -hmm. that uh, uh, those the last five years that I've been able to spend at the OVS have really uh, impacted me uh, to continue doing this work, whether it be here in my home community of Pine House or um, uh, on a national level. It's 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 in, it's inspired me, and it's it's it, uh, it uh, helped to continue that uh, that spark, that that flame that's in my. I, that's in my gut in, in, in doing this work so that other young Indigenous children and other young Indigenous youth are able to see the value in themselves yes. um, and that they are capable of bringing about um, the dismantling, the, the, the type of change that our communities really need to see. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to reiterate Regan, or just wanted to just touch on what you were saying. I'm so, first of all, I'm so proud of you. Um, I've never, I, I'm such a proud mom. Um, you know how uh, some moms worry at night where their kids are. Uh, maybe they're creating problems in the community, maybe they're I never, ever in my life had, to, like as a mother, had to worry about that from you. And, you know, that hero that I always dreamt of as I was growing up, someone who would come and bring an end to some of the hurting. Because at the residential school with our coping, we had to, sometimes we'd fantasize of somebody coming to our rescue and someone putting a stop to all of the, the foreign stuff, everything that was happening. So you, you were, you, Jade, uh, Jordan, ah, I'm going to cry again. All the university students that I've come to know since you've been in university, you're it. You're the people who are going to start dismantling, who are going to start bringing healing to our nations. Um, don't stop what you're doing. Don't quit. 
what you're doing, Jade. Don't stop telling your story. That's the legacy that your dad would have wanted you to carry on. That's his legacy. And he would be so proud of you immensely right now. Um, and I know him because he was a brother to me. And I am proud of my son. So I want to say to the university kids listening, don't quit. Don't stop. Because little eight-year-old Jaden depends on that knowledge for you guys to keep carrying it forward. And little Jaden, the eight-year-olds and the nine-year-olds, younger ones, they're looking at you. And they need that person that they can capture their, you're the role model. You're their role model. Me, not so much anymore because I'm just the nurturer of Jane. I nurture her in affection and whatever. You, he, she's looking at you and she, you're carrying that torch. And I just want to say, don't, don't give up. And don't get disheartened. There's many times, Jade and Regan, that somebody will try and stamp out that fire. But no, don't. Um, just keep carrying it forward. Hmm. Yeah. So, because there's a lot of healing that's going to come with that. To wrap up our conversation, I asked Regan to share some advice that he'd like to give Indigenous youth that might be listening to this episode. Here's his response. Uh, there's a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if it's one thing, it is, I always found it hard to, um, I always hated being alone with my thoughts when I was growing up. And I always hated, uh, because sometimes my thoughts weren't the greatest, especially when it came to how I viewed myself. I didn't have a great self image. I didn't look at myself uh, too well. Um, and so to a lot of the young people that are listening, you are worth the fight that every single fight that our ancestors have uh, been a part of you are worth it you have been worth it um, every single uh, fight and every single uh, racist remark every single um, battle that our parents have gone through even sometimes not even telling us about what they had gone through you were worth it you were worth going through that battle you were worth going through that that suffering. Yeah. We hope, I hope, that more young people start to see that beauty in themselves and start to see that value in themselves because you're worth it. You're worth every single bit of... Uh, you're worth every single bit of uh, you're worth the journey that took place in order for us to get here and for our communities to get to this point mm -hmm. and so please recognize that in yourself I know it's easier said than done um, 
but recognize that uh, in yourself that that beauty that you hold um, and recognize just how much work and how much effort has been done um, just in order to get us to this point. And there's so much more work to be done. And that's where a lot of the young people, and I'm talking to uh, the people that are 10 years old and 11 years old, 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old, 15 years old right now, you have the torch is going to be coming to you pretty soon. Yeah. And you have a lot of work to, uh, to do in order for your children to get to a better point than you were at. Yeah. But continue um, looking at yourself with value and continue loving yourself. That's something that... I uh, have been able to do recently more and more in the last few uh, years. Um, and that's something that I would encourage other young people to, 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 to do more of, is to uh, love yourself as an Indigenous person, uh, whatever your identity may be, whether two-spirit, whether uh, a young girl, a young woman, uh, whether uh, non-gender binary, it, you are uh, an indigenous person. And whether you come from the Dene Nation or the uh, Ehio Nation or uh, Nakoe, whoever you are, you are worth every, um, you are worth the journey that it took to get to this point. And I hope that you see uh, that worth uh, in your children and your grandchildren. And I hope that uh, you take on this type of work that we're uh, doing right now, this type of work that Jade is doing right now uh, in trying to get these stories out across, across Turtle Island. Again, I just want to say thank you to everybody who tuned into this episode and everybody who continues to listen to my podcast and support me. If you are able to, please follow me on Instagram at jadr with three R's 94. You can also find my coffee shop at ko-fi.com slash jaderoberts. If you decide to make a donation or buy any of my artwork, all of that support gets directly poured back into this podcast, and I am so appreciative.